This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Let's get into this. Father God, I pray right now that um, as I speak the words you have given me, Lord God, I pray that they will be received. I pray, Lord God, that I will not be too loud for the sound team, nor too quiet for those hard of hearing. Lord God, I pray that um, the, the word you have placed on my heart comes out, goes forth and accomplishes all that it was sent out to do. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. So we are at Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Let's read it through. Now about eight days after these sayings, that's when he told them to take up their cross and follow him, he took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Can you imagine experiencing that and not telling anyone? (laughs) Sorry, that is not in my notes. (laughs) Just grabbed me. So Jesus takes Peter, James and John up a mountain for the most awesome and by that I mean full of awe, demonstration of Jesus' divine nature, an experience they would never forget. Now, I've said it before, but I think it's worth saying again, Peter, James, and John are either Jesus' most trusted followers, or they're the three that he needs to keep a closer eye on. And I kind of like the second in that. So, don't count yourself out of awesome experiences of God. This is point number one, we're straight in. Don't count yourself out of awesome experiences of God just because you have a slightly annoying or volatile nature. Jesus takes those three disciples, read it, read the Gospels for yourself. He takes those three disciples everywhere with him. The disciples most known for trouble go with Jesus everywhere. So, and let me just paint that a little bit stronger for you. 
James and John are nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. How do you think they got that name? Because of their volatile tempers, most likely, and their explosive personalities. You could probably call me a daughter of thunder. I'm sure Mark would. I'm sure my children would. It's better than it was, the thunder. Um, And Peter, I wish I hadn't gone down that road. Um, Peter, (laughs) I'm also this. (laughs) Peter (laughs) was rash and hasty and at times fearful. I can count myself into all three of those. And forgets to think, oh, before speaking, oh. Yeah, Um, or acting. He forgets to think before doing things, which we even see in today's passage. So it's easy to think that God gives greater access to his spirit and spiritual things to those with meek, mild, gentle and calm personalities. And you know, the media would have us believe that. You watch the depiction of a vicar. He's never all fire and brimstone. Well, he is, and then he's a bad vicar, isn't he? You never get, you never get the fullness presented of a Christian on TV. You always get this kind of this... hmm, Soppy thing sometimes. I mean, uh, you know, I might be being a bit strong, but that's how I feel about the presentation of the media. And that's why we can fall into this feeling that you have to be a certain nature to have more of God. But remember, God does not see you as the world sees you. And you know, let me just take it the other way around, actually. In Pentecostal churches and, and really alive churches, you can feel it's the other way around. It's people like me who have all of God, okay? You know, those volatile, explosive, passionate personalities. And actually, if you're meek and mild and calm and gentle, you probably feel like you're going to get overlooked. And that's not true either way, okay? I just want to be clear. Because God sees you differently. Don't yet let your little bit of what we might call extra in your personality hold you back or keep you quiet. God made you the way you are for a reason, okay? You are on purpose. He made you on purpose. And he has in you things that are for purpose. Maybe he wants some of that fire or that quirky personality to be firing for him. Okay, now I am the sort of person, I've already done it, in fact, and I didn't have it in my notes till here, who apologises for her personality. I am half Spanish and I blame that sometimes. But I don't know, I'm going to be honest with you right now, if it's my nationality or simply my personal personality. I'm going to be honest. God has made me, though, a passionate and loud You cannot believe how I am trying to hold this back right now. If you see me shaking, it's because I'm trying not to be too loud for Richard, who I care about. (laughs) And extremely honest person. How honest have I just been? I'm not actually authentic when I try to quell some of that. And I'm really, actually, really uncomfortable when I hold some of it back. Some of you know me better than others. And those who know me know that to be true. Now, I know I can be a, tr- a problem for sound teams. Gareth, Richard, I'm sorry. And I can be off-putting for some sensitive listeners, especially if I shout, or even when I'm honest. And occasionally I remember that, and I do try to keep that under control, sometimes. However, I am naturally loud. That's just my personality. And let me say... I believe that God has that in me for a reason. 
And one day, if all the technology fails in this place, you will hear what God has placed in me and given me to share with you, and you will have no trouble. And even if you have a slight hearing deficit, you will hear me. <laughs> so maybe your personal uh, personality quirks are vastly different to mine. So God led me to le- read this section out. Maybe you are very quiet and want to disappear, or you hope no one notices you. Maybe you're not able to read people's emotions and therefore you feel awkward in social settings. Maybe you find it difficult to express your thoughts. Maybe your mind goes blank when you try to pray or speak about God. Maybe every time you open your mouth, you get yourself into trouble. Maybe you're afraid of many things. Or maybe you turn everything into a fight. How can God use me, you wonder? Why would God want to reveal himself to me? Yet today's story from the Bible tells us that Jesus did exactly that. He chooses to reveal himself, reveal himself, his true self, his true nature, to the three most apparently difficult disciples But their personalities are God-given. Your personalities are God-given. And these things that seem so negative within us can be placed in God's hands and can be used for God's glory in immense ways. I'm really sorry, Mark. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to tell it. Apparently, when Mark was a teenager, that's when he came to the Lord. And he had quite a temper. He had a very bad temper. He was angry all the time. I think it might be what boys go through. Sorry about this, young men. But uh, it's the testosterone kicks in and you get all this anger and temper, I think, comes along. And he tells me this because that is not my experience of Mark. And anyone who knows Mark, I, I can't even imagine it. Because when he came to Jesus, that temper was quelled. Now listen up. When that man has a holy grinding from God, I sit up and listen. I know he is serious. And, and his children know. And there are probably, you can count on one hand, the amount of times he may have even, I don't think he's ever shouted. I don't know if he shouts. Um, but he gets serious. And then you know it's serious. You know, but what I'm saying is that's still in him. It's not a temper. It's a holy, it's a holy, mm, which is why Hope Church exists. A holy, okay, so put it in God's hands, these personality quirks that you maybe struggle with. If you're like me, you've maybe had to walk this out. Don't let those personality quirks hold you back from the fullness of God. You are included. God invites who? You. He invites every single one of you. He wants to reveal things to you. This is what he said to Jeremiah in chapter 33, verse 3. He said, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. He will reveal things to you. And this season, we feel that God is taking us as a church, and I would say as a worldwide church, but also individually as Hope Church, on a greater understanding and experience of his supernatural, available and awake and ongoing in our natural everyday lives. God is revealing how he works with and through his spirit in us. And it can feel awesome. By that, I mean full of awe and scary. 
But if you trust the process and let God teach you through his unforced rhythms of grace, it will also feel awesome. And by that, I mean full of awe and brilliant. Because you'll start to see and feel complete in your Christian walk. You'll start to see it all come together, how it impacts natural life. And you'll see what you believed in theory becoming reality in our everyday. And I honestly believe that's the journey that we are on right now. Luke tells us they went up the mountain to pray. And Luke tells us that Jesus' three companions did what we have all done and may be doing right now. When we set ourselves out to pray, verse 32, they became heavy with sleep. I know that one. Hands up if you know that one. I know you know it. I'm just trying to keep you awake. See, moving your body gets the blood pumping, all right? Um, (laughs) Reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is arrested. They fell asleep at the most significant time in history. And here they are at another really significant moment, falling asleep. So don't feel bad when it happens to you. It happens to the best of us. And it it certainly happens to me. And it happened to them several times. It's recorded here. And they had Jesus right there in bodily form, right next to them. So if it happened to them, it can happen to you. Get over it and and be okay with it, okay? Because it's going to happen. Heavy with sleep. And then verse 29, it says, And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing, this is what's happening while they're sleeping, by the way, while they're dozing. And his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So while he was praying, Jesus' appearance was completely changed. In the account in Matthew chapter 17, we actually read that his face shone like the sun. So his face radiated and his clothes became brilliant white and being a theatre type lady, um, I see it like a UV lit white. Yeah, have you ever seen white under UV? It's pretty striking and that's how I see it in my head. It was dazzling. Now, think about this just for a moment. It's not a great point, but I think it's helpful for us to remember The appearance of Jesus in the transfiguration was actually a bursting through of his natural appearance. His glorious godness was revealed. You know, the actual miracle over Jesus' appearance is that for all the other 365 days of his 33 years on earth, he appeared like an ordinary man. That's the actual miracle. That bursting forth of his brilliance, of his godness, is not actually the miracle. That's the truth. That's what he really is. The Bible tells us that Jesus' regular everyday appearance would have been unremarkable. Isaiah prophesied that he had no formal majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That's what Jesus looked like. He may have been so boring and ordinary that we'd have just walked past him. That's Isaiah 53 verse 2. (laughs) The miracle is not that Jesus was transfigured, but that he was so ordinary the rest of the time. So Jesus is there, he's radiant, his divinity is revealed, and then Moses and Elijah appear. Now who knows that when you wake from that slumber, from that heavy sleep, heavy dozing feeling, you wake to the unexpected, you can be easily startled, right? And this is what happens. 
teeth and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. So they awoke to witness the immense divine within Jesus bursting through, changing his outward appearance. And there's not only a bright, shiny Jesus, but there's two extra people on this remote mountaintop meeting with him. And they're probably glowing too, because it says they appeared in glory. Now that must have been quite frightening. And seeing all this, rationed, fearful Peter jumps up to make something happen and get involved. The account in the book of Mark puts it like this. Mark 9, verses 5 to 6 says, this is what Peter said, let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Don't you love Peter? No idea what to say, but he can't just sit quietly and observe. I totally resonate with him. Have you noticed that we have an inbuilt human response to fearful situations with a need to do something? Now, we are seeing that everywhere right now, okay? It's scary and frustrating watching the war in the Ukraine. We want to do something. It's natural. And if we really want to make a difference, we have to do something that will change things. So what can we do for Ukraine? I've popped it in here in case people need a reminder. There are many ways we can give in order to send support. We can give of items and money. Or we can write to our MP if we want the government to act differently. But I'm going to be honest with you, and those are the most, probably the most of us can do right now, except for the bit I'm getting to. Don't you worry, those who are, and there's something else we can do. I'm getting there. But even those don't always satisfy our need to do, because in the face of such a big thing, we can easily feel completely powerless. But listen up, church. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Say it. Prayer changes things. Don't minimize prayer because it seems the easiest thing you can do. I mean, how easy is it to pray? It should be. And yet, it's so easy. And yet, we don't see it as it is because it's not only the easiest thing we can do, it's also the most powerful thing you get to do. That is the most powerful thing you get to do. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, the war you can engage with right now, right now in this moment, is against the evil behind Putin. Those forces behind what is happening. Prayer is not a calm, quiet, whispered hope. I mean, it might come out of you in a calm, quiet whisper, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, it is power. When you calmly whisper, you are releasing power, spiritual power. It breaks down enemy strongholds. It ushers in the victory of the righteous. When you pray, you place yourself on the front line of a battle, on the front line of the real battle with the real enemy. 
And this is why the Bible tells us to make sure we put on our own armour before launching out in that spiritual battle. This is what it says. Ephesians 6 verse 13 to 18 says, Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You see, prayer comes after placing the rest of the armour in place. And supplication, it's, it's asking God, ask God for what you want to see. So, but make sure you dress yourself first. Don't run at the enemy in your underpants. Put yourself, I just love you. But put your salvation, righteousness, truth and peace in place. Then pick up your faith and the word of God and Pray. I promise that that will accomplish more than you can imagine. And I'm hoping we will share with you, you should be doing this anyway, go do it, do it today, do it always, do it for a moment, do it for a long time. Doesn't, doesn't matter, it is just the act of prayer that is going to bring change, okay? But then we're hoping there will be an opportunity to gather together. And I pray that when I ask, that when we put out that opportunity to gather together in public and pray, then come, join with us. It won't be for long. We'll be out there, though, praying. And it will be a witness because there is something we can and we get to do. Now, I'm a dog trainer, and I teach my clients that there are four signs of fear in a dog. Most people now know about the first two. You can probably say them, fight or flight. Yeah, everyone knows about those two. But many do not realise there are two more signs of fear, and that is freeze and fuss around. So when your dog, this is just a bit of free dog training advice for you here, when your dog starts jumping up at you, there's a dog scrap over there, and your dog starts jumping up at you, that's fussing around, by the way. That is the dog is actually expressing fear in a different way. Okay. Now, the problem with freeze and fuss around is, number one, people don't know about them. Number two, these signs of fear can be missed, and then they lead to worse responses of fight or flight. So it'd be better if we caught it earlier. And the reason I tell you all this is because I actually think humans suffer from those same four responses of fear, the four Fs. We obviously fight or flight. We know that. But we can so easily freeze. Can't do anything. What do I do? Don't know what to do. Can't do anything in the face of something fearful. Or we can fuss around. And that's what we see in dear Peter in our passage today. He fusses around. He's fearful. He doesn't know what to do. So he comes up with, I know, let's make some tents for the supernatural visitors. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> so let's learn from this passage and let's learn from today to recognise that our fear-led responses might lead us to fuss around and perhaps look for a better faith-led choices in responses to the situations we encounter. 
Anyway, the disciples awake to find Jesus glowing, talking with Moses and Elijah. But why was it these two particular Old Testament characters? Why wasn't it King David or Daniel who faced down lions? Why wasn't it Abraham, the father of faith? Why Moses and why Elijah? Well, very briefly, Moses and Elijah give us the sum total of the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible. The Old Covenant, that's the Old Agreement, meeting Jesus who brings the New Covenant, covenant sorry, and the New Testament. So Moses represents the law which he brought to the people, which over the centuries people realised could not save them because they could not live up to and save themselves through keeping the law. And this showed them their need for a saviour who is Jesus. And Elijah was a prophet. He was the representation of all the prophetic those that predicted and described the coming Messiah, who was now stood right in front of him in the person of Jesus. I love this because, get this, the law and the prophets met with Jesus, the Redeemer, and what were they discussing? His salvation purposes. They were discussing what he was about to do in Jerusalem. I think that is so awesome. It's like an awesome, giant, glorious handing over of the baton. The law and the prophets time is done. Now it's your turn, Jesus. Take it away. Luke 9 verse 34 to 35 says, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In that moment, on that mountain with Moses and Elijah, God's tangible, what we call Shekinah glory, surrounded them, descended upon them. And as God Then spoke, he elevated Jesus above Moses and Elijah. Jesus was God's own son, and he was now the one that must be listened to and followed. And it says then in verse 36, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So Elijah and Moses, once God has declared this, are taken away, they disappear. The focus of the encounter is then left entirely on the person of Jesus. The law and the prophets passed away. The new covenant was here. God had basically said, listen to my son Jesus, because he's more than a prophet, and he is the fulfillment of all the law. So as I close today, I just want to take a moment to think about what that really means for us. And I think this is the key. So if if, if you've been heavy with sleep, come with me again now. I'm just going to say, hello. Sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm in trouble, I know. (laughs) I'll be told later why that's wrong. Don't, I know. Okay, I know. Okay. We live after Jesus. We live in new covenant times. Say new covenant. Say it again. Because we are new covenant believers. Say that. Believers. That's who you are, okay? The new covenant was the new agreement agreement made between God and man through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Covenants were always made through blood. There's a sermon way back when that uh, Sue brought to us teaching about covenants, if you want to go and look for it on our website. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Before Jesus, we only had the law through Moses, which we could never quite live up to. Human beings felt powerless and never quite good enough, but Jesus changed all that. He made us right 
before God, right enough to approach God ourselves. We no longer have to go through a priest. We go ourselves to the throne of God. We are made right enough to do that. And the religious word for that is righteous. Romans 8 verse 3 to 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Not in Jesus, in us. Might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, which is why he said, take up your cross. Okay, crucify that flesh, walk in the Spirit. Jesus declared on the cross, when it came to it, he said, it is finished. And what he meant was prophecies were complete. Requirements of the law were settled. The debt of humanity's sin was paid in full. The old covenant was finished. He brought us the new covenant of grace. And that means a free gift of relationship with mighty God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. What was finished was the work of salvation. We can't save ourselves, but Jesus did. So for those who believe that Jesus died and rose again to make us right before God, it is finished. It is a done deal. All you need to be saved into right relationship with God is receive it. And you can do that right now. Just say this to God right now. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that I can be saved. Come into my heart and help me live it out. Amen. That's all it takes, okay? And I only put that there in case you haven't yet received it. Do you know what? I use those words. You can use any words. Just say, yes, thank you, Jesus. But if we're honest and we think about it, many of us live a weird sort of hybrid covenant. We're neither walking in the old nor in the new because sometimes we're a little bit law-driven and I'm going to call us out on this, okay? Because we think, and we don't mean to, but I want God to show us from now on that we're doing this, okay? Because we think about the fact that we must earn God's love or forgiveness or that I've let God down like you have the power to, okay? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, Many of us have those moments and those days. That is taken through the, that's the old covenant coming up in you, okay? And then sometimes we're grace-driven. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for me. But I don't think we fully walk in that. Because this hybrid, I believe, is why we find ourselves not fully understanding or making good use of that inheritance that Hebrews 9 And I think the next one, yes, 1 Peter 1, both refer to, okay? Written by different people, make a point of that. Okay, let's have a look at it. 1 Peter 1, written by Peter. (laughs) Verse 3 to 4, written by Peter, who knows some stuff. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, unfading. There are people who will teach you that this is not for you right now. It didn't fade. It's unfading. Kept in heaven for you and 
We could talk more about that, but I'm not going to go there right now. But we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And I promise this is where I'm drawing a close. Because this is part of the revelation, I believe, that God is teaching now in these last days. In order to get an inheritance, people, someone needs to die and leave it to you. Jesus did that. In order to get an inheritance, the receiver needs to be alive. Otherwise, it just passes on to someone else, right? That's how inheritance works. So an inheritance is something you enjoy while you are alive, not something that benefits you after death. Let's be honest, many times we think of the inheritance we receive from Jesus more like an insurance policy for after death than in an inheritance that we have the freedom and privilege to enjoy right here and right now. And here is where it might affect us the most awesomely. Because here is what I talked about earlier, our prayer life. Because remember how powerful a warfare strategy prayer actually is. If we realise our inheritance, we no longer come from a place of begging God for what we want and need and we want to see, but we come from a place of knowing and using what we already have received. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, so we're not going to behave the way the world does, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You know, most of what we pray about has already been given to us. Do you realise that? It's already been given. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4 says, his divine power has granted to us all things, that pertain to life. Say all things. all things. And godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Remember, he is watching over them to fulfillment. So that you, that, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Guys, our inheritance is to be partakers of the divine nature and for those very great promises of God to manifest and become reality in our lives. That is an inheritance we have already received through the cross of Jesus. So I want to finish with a quote that I heard the other day that really grabbed me. It challenged me. It's still challenging me. And I hope it will challenge you. This is not a done deal for me. This is a done deal in the spiritual, but I am still processing and learning these things. So I hope I've given you revelation that I am on the journey to as well. This is the quote. Faith is not knowing God can do something. Satan does that and he has no faith. Faith is knowing it is already done. I think many times we think faith is that God can. I'm telling you, faith is that God has. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your revelation. Thank you, Jesus, that you choose to reveal yourself to us, whatever our quirks are, Lord God. Whoever we are, you call us and you say, here I am, follow me. Thank you for your new covenant, Jesus. Thank you for the new covenant bought for us at the cross, Lord God. Brought in, Lord God, to replace the old covenant. Help us realise when we fall into old covenant thinking. Help us live in your new covenant more fully. Fill us. 
Jesus, fill us with your Spirit as you promised, that we may live in your promises and make full use of the inheritance, Jesus, you gave us. We want to be partakers of the divine nature, just as you have called us to be. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.